If you have Bibles, if you have smartphones with Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 19. And as you turn, I have to admit that this passage is much more of a seminar than it is a passage for preaching because there's just way too much in it that if we maintain the integrity of the passage, we can't go quickly. And so today, I'll just give you a, a, a notice in the beginning. We're not going to look at speaking and anger. We're going to really look and focus this morning on listening. If I have opportunity to preach again in the future, I'll continue this with the speaking and the anger. And I'll touch briefly on those things today. But there's just way too much to think about, to understand, and to hear from this passage on the act of hearing. So let me open in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you this morning, and to be honest, we come distracted. We come with the cares that we have experienced all week, as Monty had prayed earlier. We come with deep concern for serious tragedies. Our experiences may not match the level of those tragedies, but they certainly do focus us and they distract us. And so I pray that as we come into worship this morning, both to be able to experience your word spoken to us, but also to be able to experience the table and to speak to you and to bring you our praise, that you would give us an ability to focus, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to know. And I pray, Lord, that as we engage with you, as we recognize that you are indeed speaking, and as we learn how to listen both to you but to one another, that you would transform us, that you would accomplish your purposes in us, and that we would be able to live lives that will bring you glory and build your kingdom, that we will be part of that answer to the tragedy that we experience. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained 
from the world. Let's pray. God, as we come to this passage, we recognize that we need you. Please, fulfill that need. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage begins with the word no. It is a command. It's not an option. It's not something for your consideration. James is saying no. And it's in a tense that reflects a past action with ongoing result. When we know in this way, it is transforming. What he says then is here. In our translation this morning, it says, let every person be quick to hear. There is no let in the sense of the command. It is not a passive command. It's an active command. Be quick to hear. The context of this passage is suffering that James is talking about in the beginning of the chapter, but the context for us more broadly is we belong to a body. We belong to humanity. And one of the things that is so critical for us to understand in recognizing the body to which we belong is that we belong to a body of image bearers. The horrors that Monty was praying about in his pastoral prayer can only take place when we lose sight of the fact that the people around us are image bearers. E.C. has spent most of his ministry here talking to us about the fact that there really isn't an other. There are people who look different. There are people who think different. There are people who act different. But they are image bearers. God has set his image upon us. If we want to understand this passage, something that's absolutely critical is to recognize that we live in a community of image bearers and not objects. We cannot rightly use other people. We cannot treat them with less value than God has given them. No matter how different, no matter how, how difficult our interactions with them might be, they're image bearers. That has to be our focus. That has to drive us. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to keep clear in our mind that we are part of a community, a body. God uses that body, those image bearers around us, for our sanctification. God is in the business of transforming us into the image of Christ more fully and more completely. And he uses us to do that. But there's a really important additional thought, and that is God is not working to change my behavior. God is not working for me to behave more rightly. God is working to change my heart. Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. God is not looking for me to be more self-controlled. God is not looking for me to express more gentleness. God is looking for my heart to be consumed by Christ, to be consumed with Christ. So in light of that context, let's look at the idea of here. 
Let every person be quick to hear. What do the scriptures teach us about listening and about hearing? If you can turn to Proverbs 18, there are several passages I want to read from that chapter because while we had some of them read in the beginning of the service as the Old Testament reading, these are really particularly powerful thoughts about our heart as it's expressed by our ability to listen. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We're part of a body. We are not free to isolate. Yet, over and over, I find that as I deal with people who struggle with sin, the number one action they take, the first action they take, is to isolate. I can't let anybody know who I am. If they see me, if they know me, they'll reject me. Brothers and sisters, you sit surrounded by people who feel the same way. Most particularly when they're struggling most harshly with their sin. If you really knew me, you'd scoot away. You wouldn't sit close. And you certainly wouldn't talk to me in fellowship. Here's another passage. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Does that sound like Facebook? A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. If one gives an answer before he hears... It is his folly and shame. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And then this one. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. Brothers and sisters, these are demonstrations of our heart. And while you might be able to learn to speak more slowly and to listen with greater clarity, if that becomes something you're learning to do without recognizing the need for your heart to change, you're stapling apples on a fir tree and calling it an apple tree. The fruit will rot. It will fall. There is no life coming from the root of that tree to nourish the fruit. What we must focus on is our hearts. And so as we hear, as we listen, I want us to ask ourselves, am I listening? Am I expecting? Am I preparing a defense? As I've been working through this passage all fall, I've come to understand that there is a characteristic that God is calling my heart to express, and that is active patience. I want you to think about that for a moment. Active patience. The term quickly here has a sense of eagerness, 
Be quick to hear. It's not just quick. It's not just I'm going to go to this first. It's to camp out with intent in hearing. Active patience. Probably one of the greatest counterfeits that we experience is passivity. I will shut my mouth, I'll staple, I'll zip, I'll close, but my mind is actively engaged in what I'm going to say to you. My mind is already thinking about how I'm going to respond to your mistakes. Most particularly in relational conversations, Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Oh, that's why you're upset with me. Oh, if I could just help you to be clear, instead of hearing, instead of active, patient listening. Brothers and sisters, the people who are speaking to you are image bearers. It's a great exercise to think about how am I responding to the people I engage with? How do I respond to the person who just cut me off on the road? How do I respond to the person who's at the corner outside the grocery store with a sign that says, need food? How do we respond to the person on Facebook who loudly and rudely blasts an opinion you don't share? I encourage you to encourage each other with the reality that everybody you encounter bears the image of God. Because they bear the image of God, They deserve respect and dignity. It doesn't mean we give them a free pass. It means we believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in them and is calling them to Christ-likeness. And we encourage them. We speak the truth at risk, patiently, after we've listened. Because the people we interact with are image bearers, they deserve to be heard. And so we put the work into listening. In fact, that's the ninth commandment. You might read the ninth commandment to say, thou shalt not bear false witness. You're not supposed to lie. But a broader understanding of the ninth commandment is that I believe the best about the other. I believe the best about the one with whom I'm speaking. Now, the best doesn't mean I never confront, I don't think there's wrong. The best means I'm giving the best interpretation possible to the conversation I'm having. We'll talk more about that when we go into speaking. But the ninth commandment calls us to respect the image bearers with whom we interact. So how can we listen with humility, honesty, patience, transparency? We work to develop active patience. We recognize that when we don't want to be actively patient, that our heart needs Jesus' work to change it. And we plead with the Spirit to transform us. 
and we partner with the Spirit in the work of change. We're not looking to come out of the conversation a winner. We're looking to understand. We're looking to relate. We're looking to grow like Christ. One of the things that I've come to understand is a tremendous challenge to hearing is judgment. How does judgment interact with hearing? One of the places that judgment shows up most frequently is in assumptions. Relationships are issues of pattern and history. This isn't the first time I've heard you say this. And so I'm going to assume that the words you're using today mean the same thing that I believe they meant in the past, and this is what you're trying to say. And so my assumption becomes a conclusion. No. My assumption is most effective when it births questions. Because I'm listening, if I recognize that there are 360 degrees times 360 degrees for what you could mean with what you just said, and I don't know which of them is what you meant. It takes time. It takes humility. Oh, I think I know what you're saying. I remember years back when I was in Maryland living with Anne, and Anne used to have the slowest delivery for jokes. My mind races. I'm constantly dealing with people. I'm constantly listening. I'm constantly assuming. And so one of the things that I had the pattern of doing, which I am ashamed of, would be I would rush to know the punchline. I could tell where it was going, and I could figure out what the punchline was. And there were times I would actually tell her the punchline while she told me the joke. That is a classic example of not listening. My time was valuable. I already knew the joke. I wanted to laugh. And so instead of listening to the artistry with which my wife told the story, instead of valuing her as an image bearer and giving her the opportunity to enjoy the story with me, I left ahead. One caveat I do want to give in this. I do work with abuse, domestic violence, and I do want to give a caveat that those who are in danger must listen with care. Those filters have such risk that whether it's an emotional violence or a physical violence or even a sexual violence, those situations, this doesn't apply. Those situations need to set boundaries. But in the normal living situation, what I'm telling you is, is true and applies. 
Another thought that I want to get to before I try and skip over interaction is filters. Filters and frequencies. Filters shape my interpretation. They are the source of my assumptions. And so I have a way of listening that is suited to my self-protection. I don't believe I'm unique in this. I do believe this is a place where God wants to change all of our hearts. But we have things we listen for. And so I want to give you two different scenarios. When I'm listening, am I listening to be able to grasp everything being communicated on multiple frequencies? And I'll get to that in a moment. Or am I checking boxes? Am I doing a flow chart? I start with this. And that leads to either this or this. If I go here, then I'm at another point, and I've got another box to check to figure out whether I go here or here, until I can finally get down to the bottom thought. And, and I may be looking to try and figure out which is the most likely path so that I can get ahead to that bottom thought before we've even finished the conversation. In that moment, I am treating the speaker as an object. I'm checking boxes to be able to figure out where this conversation is going. On the other hand, and this is so difficult to do because it requires energy, it requires active patience, it requires time. I listen. It could be this, it could be this, it could be that. Gosh, I need, I need to sit down for a minute and figure out from what they're saying which of these options it might be because they know and they're telling me. I don't have to guess, I have to listen. One question that has been priceless for me is the question, what do I not know? That's the heart of listening. What are they gonna tell me? I don't know, but if I listen, I'll learn. So frequencies. We tend to think as people are speaking of ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. What are their words? What's their facial expression? What's their tone of voice? What's their body language? If those line up, I must know what they're up to. But there are so many other frequencies. There's so many other frequencies. Words, tone, body language, place, time, who's there, who's not there, the pace of conversation. Is this in a private place? Is this public? Multiple messages. Do they feel safe with me, and can we have this conversation in a quiet, focused place? Or do they feel unsafe with me, and are we meeting in a coffee shop? Frequencies deserve a message in and of themselves because we overlook them consciously. Subconsciously, we're picking up on those messages and frequencies. But consciously, we tend to focus on ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. We don't listen to HGTV. We don't listen to ESPN. We don't listen to all of the thousands of frequencies that are being broadcast. 
There's so much more. That's why it's a weekend seminar. At some point. If you want to talk more, feel free to get a hold of me. I'm glad to try and help you to work through some of these things. But, but for this morning, because we do need to eat lunch, and we do need to have fellowship, and we do need to celebrate the Lord's table, let me move on to when we hear. Hearing involves interaction. The message can't be for your information. The message changes you. The message calls you to act. Sometimes we might hear from the person who's speaking, I don't feel like you're listening to me. That's an attitude. I'm communicating on a different frequency, an attitude that says you don't matter. Sometimes we might feel or hear, it doesn't feel like you're hearing me. That's a different issue than it doesn't feel like you're listening to me. It doesn't feel like you're hearing me talks about whether or not the message has gotten through. I'm hearing something, but it may not be what the speaker intends. And so I have to step back into active patience. And I have to ask questions. And I have to help them to hear what I've heard so that they can tell me what they mean. God says in this passage, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. We're not just listening to each other. We're listening to God. This passage talks about trials and difficulties and suffering. And if I make an assumption that God is supposed to take care of me, and if I make an assumption that my circumstances are not me being taken care of, then I'm going to probably make the assumption that either God has failed me or God isn't. The solution is to receive his word implanted, to listen to him, to hear him. to believe what we have spoken today. Again, the Bible is an instrument of salvation only because it challenges our habitual belief, attitudes, and behavior. As soon as it begins only to conform and reinforce our own views, our assumptions, it is reduced to the status of a hand puppet. It no longer conveys an alternative. It simply parrots our own opinions. There's so much to talk about with acting. What do I do now that I've heard? One, I value the other. I care for what they're communicating. Another, I listen to what I feel. And then I speak. I'm called to speak slowly. The word has a sense of deliberate, intentional, in response to the things that I have actively, patiently heard. Speaking is a window that reveals my heart. How I speak is a revelation of who I am. Out of the fullness of the heart, we find in Luke 6.45 and in Matthew 12, the mouth speaks. 
Does our speech reflect a desire to understand or to persuade? Am I dealing with an image bearer or am I responding to an object? <clears throat> there are so many different aspects to how I speak revealing my heart. We'll get to those another time. But when we recognize sin in our hearts, when we see what God is showing us about ourselves, we repent. We act. We change. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I will say, in short, that anger is an attempt to escape pain. It is a way for me to deflect. And so the question to ask about that, just so that it's on the table, am I doing something about the circumstances or about the feeling? Am I more concerned to promote righteousness and justice, or am I more concerned to feel good? And there's so much to look at with that. So I will leave you with this thought, this question. Am I acting on the basis of the gospel at work in my life? Am I acting on the basis of the gospel at work in my life? How is God calling me to respond? How is my response partnering with God's work? Is my response the right response done at the right time in the right way. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that we're about to move into the table. Because in this table, you speak most wonderfully of your love. You proclaim that we are image bearers for whom you have redeemed through whom you are building your kingdom, whom you love. And so I pray that as we think about sanctification, as we think about growing in Christ-likeness, as we think about the body that you have established here for the purpose of growing kingdom, as we think about how important it is for each of us to be relating to the other with respect and dignity, recognizing that we are image bearers and recognizing that you're in control of our time and our schedule, our gifts, our opportunities, and that what you call us to is to love one another as you have loved us and to demonstrate that in how we relate. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this body, and I ask that you would grow them in Christ-likeness. I ask that you would use them in my life to grow me in Christ-likeness. And I ask that you would use me for them. And I pray, Lord, that as we come to the table, we would hear your voice proclaiming in technicolor your love for us, your intent to bring us to Christ-likeness, both in this time as we grow, but also at home when you give us glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.